We are into page 55, I believe, but we're going to uh, start off from point two on the top of the page, or really there in the middle of page 54. Uh, so we're looking at the defense of the apostles, and remember they have been uh, gathered up, uh, and after they were told not to speak in this name, and found to be speaking in this name, they've been gathered up again and questioned here by the Jewish leadership. And so in verses 29 through 42, we see the offense, the offense, the defense that's given by Peter. And so pick up with me in Acts chapter 5 and verse 29, and we'll read there uh, to the end of the chapter. Acts chapter 5 and verse 29. This is page 54? Yes. Are we missing pages? Are there any extra copies of 54? Okay. All right, so let's read in verse 29. It says, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. Him have God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Spirit, whom God hath given to them that obey him. When they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel how to slay them. Then stood up uh, one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had uh, uh, excuse me, of the law, had in reputation among the people and commanded the apostles to be put forth a little space and said unto them, you men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do as touching these men. For before these days rose up Thutis, boasting himself to be somebody to whom a number of men of about 400 joined themselves, who was slain, and all as many as obeyed him were scattered and brought to, uh, brought to naught. Verse 37. After this rose Judas of Galilee in the days of taxing and drew away much people after him. He also perished and all even as many as obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men or out from men as to source, it will be or come to naught. But if it be out from God as to source, you cannot overthrow it, lest haply you be found even to fight against God. And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. And so you see what it's going to come to here. Ultimately, right, they are going to uh, suffer on behalf of uh, this gospel that they're teaching. And yet I, I find it very interesting what it says there at the end. What does it say? They, they gloried in the fact that they were counted worthy to have suffered on behalf of Jesus Christ. So let's bow in a word of prayer and we'll get back into it. 
Father, we're grateful uh, for this day and grateful again uh, for the provision uh, that you give us every day uh, for every circumstance, uh, whether we appreciate it or not. And there are some times that we uh, look at life and we don't have what we want, but we have what we need. And we take for granted the fact that you uh, do provide those things that we need. Uh, we can see even in this instance with the apostles is there. Uh, in a situation that certainly no one would like to be in, questioned by the Jews, uh, beaten by the Jews, even uh, that they were attempting to take their lives. And yet you provided for them in that circumstance and they were able to glorify you uh, because of it. And we pray that we would be ones that are uh, of the mindset that when uh, we're not getting exactly what we want, we know that you're providing exactly what we need. And so we I uh, pray that uh, this mind would be in us, for it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so back to verse 29, and on the uh, point two on page 24, we'll pick up, 24, page 54, we'll pick up from there, and we see the defense of the uh, apostles. And so remember, they've been taken in uh, here again after they were told not to preach in this name. They, were, they obeyed who? They obeyed the message directly from God. That was sent through this angel that came and released them from prison. And what is the answer of the Jewish leadership? Didn't we tell you not to preach in this name? It kind of reminds me of when we were younger, right? And I often talk about the pastor and his tyrannical rule over the household. <laughs> right? And so we, he would say certain things to us. And if we uh, did contrary to that, what would he say? It's, didn't I tell you <laughs> not to do such and such a thing. And this is the kind of authority that these guys are taking up over these men, right? Being stewards of what God has proposed here and given this nation, they are in no uh, place to be chastising men like this. And yet they've taken this on to themselves, this authority to really uh, hold forth what should be coming out concerning the word of God. And yet it's interesting that they're the ones that are in the wrong, right? And Gamaliel's going to go into that here at the end in this uh, statement, in this speech that he gives, because it's very simple. Truth will stand on its own. Truth doesn't need to be defended. If it's true, let things run their course, and the truth will come out over time. We see in, in our culture today, you have a lot of different information that just gets out there, gets out there, and it gets out fast, right? And because we have so many different places where information can be dispersed, sometimes lies run ahead of the truth. And yet, in the end, give it time, what happens? The truth finds a way to play out. And so this is what Gamaliel's going to tell them. Look, your emotions in this uh, instance are not warranted, right? Logic should be what rules the day. Let this thing run its course. There's been people before, there'll be people after. They tell lies and the truth will find a way to work out. Uh, and we see this here. And so the apostles are going to speak first in their own defense. And it's Peter, who's always the one to step up. Now, remember, back in the Gospels, sometimes it was for bad that Peter <laughs> stepped up and just jumped out there. And he acted out of emotion and said, I'm going to do this or I'm going to say this on behalf of God. And usually it was the wrong thing. Right. But now we find a different Peter. And we find something that he says here in a couple of verses. I won't get to it now, but that we've been hitting on over the course of this study in the book of Acts. 
what is different between these apostles during Christ's earthly ministry and where we see them now? We see that they have the Holy Spirit that's able to take those things that they heard when Christ was here and allow them to walk it out in real time and to not be acting out of emotion. But Paul says, or Peter, boy, I'm all over the place. Peter says here in verse 29, uh, they are not going to obey what these guys are saying. Now, that takes a little bit of backbone, right? <laughs> it takes a little bit of uh, fortitude, as they would say. Yeah. You're standing in the midst of these men that you know have killed your Lord and Savior. And they are capable, very capable of doing it again or causing bodily harm to you. And what does he say in direct defiance <laughs> to what they're saying? We told you not to preach in this name. He says eh. <laughs> we ought to obey God rather than men. That takes that's the strong Peter that we saw attempting to be strong in the Gospels. Now we see him actually doing it and being really strong. Verse 29, then uh, Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Now, uh, this this uh, statement here, they weren't all speaking at once. Right. It's Peter that's speaking for them. But uh, what we see early and we hit upon it, um, I believe, in chapter two and then in chapter four again, that they're all in one accord and all of one mind. They're on the same page. They're singing from the same sheet of music, as it were. And the people are getting their marching orders from the, the unity that they're seeing from their leaders, right? And so Peter is a spokesperson, but these apostles are all of the same mind. And they say one thing, we ought to obey God rather than men. We're not going to listen to you in this regard, right? I remember a, another uh, prophet who was of this mind too, remember Daniel, right? Standing in the midst of adversity, where if you pray, guess what? We're going to throw you into the lion's den. And guess what? He did it anyway. <laughs> and there are times when it comes where men are speaking and telling you to do things that are contrary to what you know the revealed will of God to be. And what are you going to do? It's easy on this side to say, I would do such and such. <laughs> like the pastor, what he says about people with these fish on their cars, right? We're very boisterous about being Christians right now, where it's easy to be a Christian. Would you go over into some of these countries in Africa or in China where they're, they're killing Christians and be willing to stand the same way? We got it pretty easy here in America. We don't have to deal with such things. In verse 30, it says, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hang on a tree. You killed him. God raised him from the dead. And we've been through it before, so I won't go through it here. But this is a continuing theme that you'll see throughout the book of Acts, other than the theme of the Holy Spirit now empowering these apostles to be able to work. You killed him. God raised him from the dead. God gave you authority to do what you will with him. And now God has seated him at, at, at his right hand in power. And so uh, he continues on. But this uh, response to the Jewish leadership, again, we, we look at the fathers and we talked about this last week, uh, going back to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And it speaks to the fact that this is the same God that they say that they're serving. Right. They're upholding all of these things They even have these guys in front of them 
questioning them now because they are supposed to be the standard for what it looks like to serve God. And they're speaking in direct contradiction to God. Isn't that funny? It's amazing. And so uh, this same God that they're serving, that they all serve because they're all Jews. They're all uh, descendants of these fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. This is they're, they're all our fathers. You see, uh, Stephen will say in this, the same thing in the seventh chapter. Uh, but this God that was the father of all of these raised up Jesus out from dead ones. The one that you say you don't want us to speak in the name of. Uh, all kinds of um, contradictions going on here. You slew him and hanged him on a tree. Verse 31. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for uh, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses or we are his witnesses of these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God hath given to uh, them that obey him. And so this is a continued expansion of what happened in chapter two. Right. What happened in chapter two was a, an amazing thing. Right. The Holy Spirit came down and they're not only witnesses to the fact that Jesus lived and fulfilled all the things that was required to be called the savior of Israel. And he died and he was raised again. But he promised them something before he left. Right. He said, I would not leave you comfortless. I will send you another comforter. And that comforter came in the form of the Holy Spirit in chapter two. And has now empowered them to be able to speak in the way that they are. And so they're witnesses of all of these things. And not only is it Peter that's stating this, but these apostles that are right there with them. And then you can go, as we did last uh, week in the chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, and you see that there are many more witnesses also to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right? Above 500 <laughs> saw him at one time. And then there are many witnesses also in chapter two, as we see, to the coming of the Holy Spirit. They saw, they heard, they felt, they experienced all of these things, not only with their logical mind, but also with their emotions and their feelings. And so they can fully testify to the fact that the Holy Spirit has come. In verses uh, 33, or verse 33, as we continue on there at the top of page 55 now, we see the witness uh, of the apostles to the Holy Spirit. And we talked about that, uh, Acts chapter two and verse one. But what is the response of the council? Now, what do you guys think it is that gets these guys so emotionally triggered? <laughs> I see. Oh, I hear this word now used commonly for us, this word for triggered. Right. It's come about as <laughs> social media has expanded and people post things that kind of needle people. Right. <laughs> you say something. You say somebody's name, you say this thing or that thing, and it gets people triggered. <laughs> they don't want to hear it. They want to stop their ears like in chapter 7, what we saw with Stephen when he pricked them to the heart. Right? Why? Because he was telling them the truth. And the same thing can be said here. What does Peter or uh, Stephen do in chapter 7? He goes over the whole course of the history of Israel. Gives an excellent account of every single thing that happened with Israel. Every prophet that God sent to them to testify concerning himself. And what did they do? They didn't listen. <laughs> right? They didn't listen. The Lord uh, tells about it uh, greatly in the Gospels where he says, 
uh, gives that parable concerning this very thing. And lastly, they, he said, I will send my son. And certainly they're going to listen to my son. They're going to love him and they're going to heed his words. And what did they do? They killed him too. <laughs> right? And this is the history of this so-called leadership of Israel. And so here they are again in a position where they could have heeded the words that Peter's telling them. And I believe as we talk about it here and look at it, we, we talked about in chapter two, why did Peter go into talking about these prophecies that could have occurred? And we talked about the fact that the kingdom was right there again. And I believe had this Jewish leadership believed, right, it would have influenced the people and the nation probably would have believed in the whole. And all of those things that were prophesied to happen could have happened way back then. And we would have been looking at a whole different timeline for you and I. That's just my thoughts on it. But here they have another opportunity to say, hey, you know what? We did kill the Messiah. That man that came and did all of these miracles and proved perfectly to be the one that we wait, we've been waiting on. He was him. Right? That's another thing the kids say. Him. <laughs> He's him. <laughs> he was him. He was the one we've been waiting on. And guess what? It could have happened for them right then. But they're going to take the opposite approach. <laughs> and we see in verse 33. When they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel how they could slay them. Have a little problem with truth, don't they? Anytime anybody tells them the truth, they react in a murderous rage and want to kill them. And so here you see this. What was it? Now, um, it says when they heard Generally, it doesn't say specific to what they heard. And so what do we go back to? They heard that the Holy Spirit has come. They've heard that you killed him and God raised him from the dead. And so one of these things triggered them and caused them to want to kill him. I, I would think just because they don't want to hear that name, Jesus, and we told you not to speak in this name anymore. It's that we don't even want to hear this man's name. And here you come putting his blood on our hands when we know in the Gospels, what did they say? Let his blood be on our hands and our children's hands. We don't care. We just want him out of here. And now there's a little guilt going on, right? <laughs> we don't, it triggers them badly. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. This word for cut to the heart, uh, again, gets to the heart of this emotional reaction in a um, meant to go back and add something to that and I didn't do it uh, but that word for cut to the heart is used in several other places I think we went last week and saw it used in Acts chapter 7 uh, so we won't go back there um, but uh, suffice it to say again they are not reacting logically so if something happens to you in your own course of life right and uh, it's an adverse thing it's not, not something that you would like to happen. Maybe you're at work. Somebody accuses you of doing something you know you didn't do, right? Now, some of us are going to react quite emotionally, right? We're going to say, no, I didn't do that, and try to defend yourself in a very uh, direct and emotional manner. But one that is truly innocent and is confident in the fact of their innocence, you don't have to react emotionally. 
you can rationally tell someone what you're saying is not true. And I can prove that it's not true. Here you see with these guys, they react emotionally because they don't have any other recourse. There's no other way that they can shut this down other than to, than to say, we've got to stop the message, right? This is why they told them before and threatened them. We don't want you preaching in this name because there's nothing that they can say against it. And so here you see them again. What is their reaction? Their reaction is to kill the messenger so that they can stop the message. And we know this doesn't work. <laughs> This is something that's happened throughout time. This is the reaction of men all the time when they want to control other people and they can't stop the message. What do you do? You kill the messenger. But we know with Christianity, the message lives on because the message is bigger uh, than any one man. In verses 34 through 40, we see some uh, sanity brought to this madness of this Jewish leadership. And so the warning of Gamaliel is seen in verses 34 through 40. Now, the profile of Gamaliel, he is a law scholar uh, who uh, honored or was honored by the uh, people we see in this context. And he is a Pharisee. Now, what do we see uh, concerning this group who's in leadership right now? Uh, we saw that they're of the opposite sect. They're of the Sadducees. So the Sadducees who are a little bit more liberal in their interpretation of what scripture says, who believe uh, none of these supernatural type things to be. They believe, uh, I would say, they're the kind that believe in science, right? Show me. I got to be able to see it. I got to be able to touch it. I got to be able to measure it myself. But Gamaliel is of the stricter sect, the Pharisees, who believes what the word says. And so he's going to bring some interesting that he's the more logical one here. And they're supposed to be the ones that are, are logical. But he's bringing levity to this situation. In verse uh, 34, we, we see that he's, um, or excuse me, I missed my footnote here, footnote 70. Uh, this word for a law teacher. Um, and read verse 34. It says, then stood up uh, one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of law. And had the reputation among all the people and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. And so his word for a doctor of the law is our word for a law teacher. And so if you were to uh, look this word up, we can see it used in a couple different places. Uh, go back with me to Luke chapter 5 and verse 17. And we see this uh, used of those that were listening to Jesus and the healing of the paralytic man. Luke chapter 5 and verse 17. And in verse 17, it says, And it came to pass on a certain day, as he was teaching, that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, uh, men brought in a, uh, a bed, a man which was taken with palsy, and they sought means to bring him in and lay him before him. And when they could uh, not find uh, by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went up to the housetop and let him down through the tiling 
with his couch in the midst before Jesus. And we know the story there. He goes on to heal this man. But you see, amongst these that saw it are these doctors of law. And so these are your scholars, right? These ones that understand the law so well that they're able to teach it to other people. We see this in colleges today, right? You have your doctors <laughs> in colleges. They're not necessarily practicing doctors that heal people. They're <laughs> ones that understand that particular uh, segment of education so well that they're able to teach it or mas go beyond mastering it uh, in a way. And so this is where these guys were. They were so practiced in the law that they were supposed to be beyond mastery of the law. They're beyond your regular teacher. They're ones that have expert knowledge concerning the law. Uh, we see this used in other places as well. Um, over in uh, at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, and this is not specific to a law teacher, but he's speaking here, Paul in general, concerning ones that would say or might say that they're uh, experts concerning the law. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6. I picked the wrong verse here. Maybe it was Second Timothy. Verse seven. Oh yeah. Just had to go one more verse. Okay, pick it up in uh, verse 3. Uh, he says, As I besought thee, speaking of, of Paul to Timothy here, to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they should teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is really their by faith so do. Now, the end of the commandment or the charge is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. And so you have these people that are desiring to be uh, so-called experts concerning the law, right? And who could be an expert concerning the law in this time when the law has been abolished, right? We see over in Romans chapter 9 that Paul speaks concerning the law that Israel, <laughs> he has this desire for Israel to be saved. But when they do get saved, go over to chapter 11, it shows that they're not any longer a part of that old structure, right? They become a part of what God is doing now. And so... How are you going to be a teacher or an expert concerning the law and teaching someone contrary to what God has provided for people here today? Uh, well, we see that people are trying to do it or he wouldn't have had to write this epistle, right, and give that admonition. And so as we think about uh, Gamaliel, this is where he is. He's at this elevated position of being an expert concerning the law and able to give uh, information uh, with regard to that. Now go back with me over to Acts chapter 5 and verse 30, 
4. And as we think of Gamaliel, he's bringing some levity to this situation because he is <laughs> of that mindset. He is not of one that just attacks things, right? Rather than seeing what's actually going on here. Again, very interesting, the contrast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the, the Sadducees supposedly being the more logical ones, right, that need to see evidence and proof that things are occurring, and yet they're reacting out of their emotion. And here you have the one that's believing more of what Scripture just says, and he's the one that's bringing some uh, gravity to this situation. And so uh, we could also see concerning Gamaliel go over to uh, Acts chapter 23 and verse 3. Uh, we see Paul was actually taught by Gamaliel in his younger days. So remember uh, the context here. Paul has uh, been captured and is having to uh, defend himself here. And so he defends himself before this crowd, <laughs> and he's going to use uh, a couple of different vices to try to get himself out of this situation. Now, remember back in the context, we went back a little further. Paul was warned not to go to Jerusalem, right, a couple different occasions. And a lot of people like to defend Paul and say, well, he was, he was following what God desired for him to do. Well, I've never seen God speak against himself. <laughs> it does say that the prophets came to him and said the man that uh, owns this cloak will be bound in such a way. And it said that a couple guys told him on a different occasion, couple of different occasions, by the Holy Spirit, Paul, don't go. <laughs> and when he uh, would not be heard, they uh, ceased and desisted from it. But Paul finds himself captured here. And so I think you run against what God's will is, right? God has a will, overriding will for each one of our lives, right? And as long as you're working within that will, everything's going to work out perfectly the way it's supposed to. The problem is sometimes we get in our mind what our will is, right? And we say, eh, maybe that might be your will for me, God, but I think I'm going to do such and such. Or we trick ourselves into thinking that what our will is is what God's will is. Right? And I think this is what Paul did here in his mind. Sure, I, I bet he did think he was doing God's will. But when you have people speaking by the Holy Spirit telling you not to do something, we know that can't be God's will. And so Paul went ahead and, and did what his will was. And he finds himself here. And now he's using uh, human uh, elements to try to get him out of this situation. Right. He says, I'm a I'm a, uh, a Roman citizen. Right. And I appeal to Caesar. He uses all these different things. Now, the end of it is what happens. He gets right to where God wanted him to be. But it didn't have to be through all of this that he got there. Uh, verse one of chapter 22, it says, uh, Paul, and even go back into uh, verse 40 from uh, chapter 21, it says, and when he had given, li given him license, well, back one more verse, sorry, <laughs> verse 39, it says, but Paul said, I am a man which am a Jew from Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, and a citizen of no mean city. And I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. What is he doing? He's saying, I am a citizen, so I am permitted to speak on my behalf. You can't just railroad me. I have rights. And so he 
uh, invokes that here. Verse 40, and when he had given him license, Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with the hands unto the people. And when there was made a great silence, he spake unto them in the Hebrew tongue, saying, Men, brethren, fathers, uh, hear me, hear ye my defense, uh, which I make unto you. And when they had heard they, uh, that he spake in the Hebrew tongue uh, to them, they kept the silence, uh, um, more silence. And he said, I am verily a man, which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was uh, zealous toward God, as you all are to this day. Uh, and so he goes on and gives even more uh, of his background. He persecuted the church, right? And so he understands and he's telling them, I understand where you're coming from. And he's trying to appeal to them on that basis, right? What do you do when you, you want to relate to somebody? You try to find ways that you have things in common. And that's what he's doing here. He said, I'm just like you, except for this one thing. I believe that Jesus raised from the dead, and that's going to be a deal breaker for the rest of them. Well, this this issue here of being brought up under the feet of Gamaliel, he had his teaching concerning law. Go with me over to Philippians, and there's a verse here I'm sure you're all familiar with. You know where I'm going with this, but just in case you're not, Philippians chapter 3 gives a little bit more of Paul's background. And so when he says he was brought up at the feet of Gamaliel, this guy that's saying he uh, or is said here in chapter five, Philippians chapter three, Gamaliel is saying, I am a expert concerning the law. Or they they are saying this concerning Gamaliel. And so when Paul speaks concerning all of these credentials he's had and he's brought up under the feet of this guy, it kind of gives you a little bit of flavor for who this guy Gamaliel is. And so in chapter three of Philippians, it says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you, it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in spirit and rejoice in Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. And so why can Paul say this uh, so confidently? Why can he speak from a place of confidence that uh, works concerned in the law don't bring you any justification because he's been there (laughs) and he understands it better than anybody. Right. Somebody can say I've walked that walk and they've only seen part of it. Hey, he's seen the whole thing and he was brought up at the feet of this Gamaliel and he he not only was brought up there, he excelled at it. Right. And then he went on further, even from just an understanding concerning the law and being a good Jew. He started persecuting Christians or those that would say uh, that there was something else outside of what Israel, the leadership of Israel, desired. And so he has perfect experience. Verse four, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man thinketh that he hath whereof he might uh, trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day. Of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of a Hebrew, of the Hebrews, or really you could say they're a Hebrew out from among Hebrews. You know, a man among men. Right. You can stand out in a position, right? You can be on a team, 
or you can be the star of a team, right? You can be in a school among a lot of graduates, or you can be the valedictorian of those graduates. There are certain people that stand out from among others. And Paul is saying here, I wasn't just a Hebrew. I stood out from among all the rest of the Hebrews. It's touching the law of Pharisee. And so you see here, he's of the same sect of Judaism that uh, Gamaliel was from. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteous, righteousness which is out from the law, blameless. Uh, but those things, here's that big but in verse 7, but those things, uh, or what things, were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. And so as you're talking about Paul here and his background, and going back over to Acts chapter 5, and you're looking at all of these things that Paul was prior to that conversion on the road of Damascus, this guy Gamaliel was largely responsible for providing a foundation for that. Now, I think Paul probably took it a lot further, right, when he gets into this zeal and persecuting the church. I think he started falling under the rest of this leadership and what they desired to do, right? Gamaliel gave him the law foundation and the understanding of what he should be as a Jew. The zeal, I think, and this is just my opinion, uh, just based on what you see here, it's coming out from a different place. We see Gamaliel is a let it play out kind of guy, right? And the Jewish leadership is a, hey, we got to stop this nonsense kind of people. Uh, and so very different uh, in their approaches. Uh, and so what does Gamaliel say in verse 34? Uh, being a doctor uh, uh, with a reputation among the people, he commanded them. Uh, this word for commanded them uh, is not our normal word for, uh, for a commandment. Uh, just having the idea of giving them uh, some instruction here to put them or, or the apostles forth a little space or basically give them time. <laughs> Let this thing play out. Chill. <laughs> Stop your, your triggeredness. Calm down. Give it a second. Let, let's talk about this. Uh, and so it, it gives you the picture that these guys were at a fevered pitch and to the place where they had decided. And now they're just looking for how they're going to carry it out to kill these men. And so that's where we are as far as this is concerned. In verse 35, he goes into his explanation and he says, uh, oh, I had to work for uh, well, I should look at my notes sometimes. Uh, so the last verse is word for uh, uh, commanded is our word for ordered. And so as you look uh, to the footnote there in verse uh, uh, footnote 71, um, this word is similar uh, to a couple other words that we see utilized for uh, commandment type words. But this is just someone speaking from a place of influence. And so we understand that he has influence regarding the people. And so when he says something, they're going to listen, right? And that's the reaction that he got. They didn't say, oh, you, you shut up, <laughs> Gamaliel. We're going to carry this out and we're going to kill this guy. No, they listened to what he had to say because they, they valued his, his input. Uh, and we see that here. Now, a uh, couple different places where this is used. I got several down there in your notes. Uh, but this word for um, uh, is used over in chapter 4 and verse 15. And I don't want to go to all of them because we're running out of time here. Uh, but back to Acts chapter 4 and verse 15. And pick it up at verse 13. 
and the same interaction here, not same interaction, but same people involved in the previous interaction when they told them uh, not to speak in this name. Uh, verse 13, it says, Now when they had uh, saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man uh, which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. And I'm missing where that word is used here. Boy, is it the next one? Why, why did I keep getting one verse off? Uh, verse 15 says, but when they had commanded them uh, to go aside from the council, they conferred among themselves saying, uh, what shall we say or, or do to these men? Uh, for that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifested to all that dwell in Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. And so, you know what they do there. They tell him, don't speak in his name anymore. And this is where we end up where we are now. Uh, but this commandment, they, they had uh, given them an order to do something. And I don't think it's a commandment as, as we think of commandment, something that's written down and documented. Don't do this or a rule that you follow. It's an order that you give, right? If I were in the military and I were a uh, person of influence in the military, well, I was in the military, but I wasn't the one giving orders. I was the one taking them. Uh, and so what would my first sergeant say? He would say, you do such and such, and you will do such and such, or there are probably consequences that are going to come along with it. But when, th when we think about Gamaliel, and this is how words change in different contexts, right? He's not speaking to them of a place where, I'm charging you to do such and such a thing. or I'm giving you an order or else it's because of his influence and who he is as a person that they listen to that. Right. And we're going to see them hear him out. Um, you can go to several other places where this word is used uh, throughout the book of Acts. So I have those in your your notes for you. We'll come. Uh, you can read those on your own. Uh, but going back over to chapter five and we'll close out here. And I will leave you right in the middle of this uh, uh, statement from Gamaliel, but he says, uh, getting them a little space, verse 35, and said unto them, you men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do as touching these men. And so you all be careful. You all focus on what you're about to do to these men. There are repercussions that could come if you don't do the right thing. And so concerning uh, this attempt that they are about to do to kill uh, these apostles. And so we're going to see in verse 36 that he cites two instances of which there were people that stood up and claim something right concerning God that they were given direction in the same way that these apostles are. And it played out. Right. There were people that followed them and it came to not. And what is he going to say? Hey, if this is not the truth, if this is not real, it'll fizzle out in the same way that these other two did. But if it is real, not Israel, but if it is real, <laughs> we can't fight against God. You can kill these men just like you did with Jesus. You won't kill the message. You'll make it stronger. And let's bow in a word of prayer. We'll close there. Father, we're grateful for this day. Grateful for uh, the provision that you've given us by grace. Grateful for uh, your truth. You are the only uh, one that embodies truth. We uh, sometimes represent uh, what's real and sometimes we don't. Uh, you always do. 
And so as we're aligned with you and who you are uh, in our position in Christ, we're able to represent uh, truth and reality, that which is real. Uh, and when we're not, we're going to represent uh, that which is a lie or deception, what comes from the enemy. We pray that uh, as we continue through this study, again, we gain a greater appreciation for those things that have been uh, provided to us by grace and that we would be better servants because of it. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.